we are wired for worship. We're created to worship. And I don't know if you understand the fact that when God was weaving you together in your mother's womb, when he was designing you, deciding whether you're going to be tall or short, whether you were going to have brown or blue eyes or hazel eyes, when he was trying to decide what your bent would be, whether it be toward math or art or whatever, while God was creating you, he dropped deep in your DNA a desire to worship. It's something that I've always known. I mean, at a very young age, I had this deep desire to worship God. Um, I more or less grew up in the church. I started when I was th three or four. And um, I remember telling my parents I was going to go to church. And uh, found out there was a bus nearby that I could catch. And so I would put on my suit every Sunday morning. I had a dress hat with a little feather in it. And I got that because I came home from church. Uh, one of the elders in the church had one, so I figured I needed one. And so I would wait for the bus, Bible in hand. And I wasn't sure why I started. I just knew that I needed to be there. You know, there was this draw. I mean, it was a serious draw for me. By the time I hit sixth grade, I'd given my life to Christ, and everything changed then. By eighth grade, I knew I was going to go in ministry, that God was calling me there. So I started trying to prepare myself for that, and I put myself in the best position I could to, to hear God, to know God. Went to church a lot. The church was open. I was there. And uh, I attended a church where we sang songs like Amazing Grace and the Old Rugged Cross and In the Garden. And we would sing songs like uh, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, but we did it like this. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. You know, and we sat. I don't, I don't know why, but we did. Uh, we would sing the, the first and last verse of a song. Sometimes we would sing the first and the third and the fifth verse. And as a kid, I was like, why are we doing this? You know, who picks? You know, who decides what we're going to sing? Which verses? And um, this was a church, and I, I'll try and explain the church to you, where singing an echo was getting edgy, you know. I mean... One of our favorite songs to sing as a congregation was Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And we would be singing it, and we'd get wild. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. And then in the background, all the guys got to go, the matchless grace of Jesus. You know, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, rolling sea, and man. And at one point, the whole place come undone because the worship leader would go, sing it. And we would sing with more enthusiasm. Now, it wasn't until years later that I realized it was all written in the hymnal. Even the part going, sing it. And uh, that's my way of saying it. It was fairly stoic, um, extremely organized and predictable on Sunday morning. 
Well, I remember one Sunday we were singing Standing on the Promises. And I promise you, we were not standing. And we got to the chorus, and we're singing, and we're worshiping God, and we're celebrating. And suddenly, there was a clapper in the house. Oh, my. This is no kidding. I, I am not exaggerating. The decibels in that room seriously dropped at that point. And it got really awkward in the congregation. Everyone's looking around. They are going to look and figure out who the clapper is. And seriously, it was like radar. You know, it was like it came from that area, that row. And then the people in that row all moved away from the person, made it really easy. They've made it easy to identify because the reason why they moved away, they did not want anybody to think they were with her. Now, I do not know, this was a large church that I went to, I did not know if she ever came back. I I very much doubt that she came back. Now, fast ramp. I'm 16 years old. I spent most Sunday mornings speaking at churches, filling in for pastors. I got invited to a church in Springfield, Bun Park Christian Church. My mom, she always went with me, very supportive. Dad, Dad was working usually. And, uh, I remember getting there, people are starting to gather, I'm getting a little bit nervous, and uh, service started with a guitar. I was like, whoa, never seen one of those in a service. And immediately, people stood up and started clapping. Everyone in the place was clapping except me. And I'm looking around going, hmm, this is where they manufacture clappers. And my mind's racing. Oh, no. My first thought, and I remember it all breaking out, and my first thought was, I bet the lady that clapped at our church was from here. And I, and I really did. I looked around to see if I spot her anywhere. And then things got worse. Not only were people clapping, people started raising their hands, people started getting down on their knees, some started dancing. The the lady sitting right next to me, no joke, reaches in her purse, pulls out a tambourine and starts running in place, you know. (laughs) At this point, I am paralyzed. The lady on the other side of me, She is clapping so loud and with so much enthusiasm, I could hardly think. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I have got to get out of here. I know, I'll go to the bathroom, and then I'll just duck out. I'll cruise. No one will miss me. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They might. Uh, They might miss me. I'm supposed to speak. (laughs) And that's not really what went through my head. My immediate thought was, oh, no, my mom's here. And I started looking everywhere for my mom. And I finally found her. The lady that was clapping like a maniac next to me, it was my mom. And I remember that drive home, 
And I was like, Mom, what did you think about the service? And I remember her saying, Damon, those people really love God. And I left that service with a question. What is worship? What is worship? I mean, I know that the the people that I attended church with, that they loved God and that they worshiped God every single week. I know that. But I also got to know people from Bum Park Christian. And I know that they loved God. And they worshiped God every week. And so what I understood was that in both places, people who were wired for worship were worshiping. And friends, I'll be honest with you, I have been wrestling with what is worship my entire life. I mean, God created you, and God created me to worship. I mean, what's worship? You know, Jesus dealt with that question all the time. You know, one day Jesus is in Samaria, and we talked about this last week. This woman's having a conversation with him. And she figures out, in short order, that there's something special about Jesus. She believes he's a prophet. And he was a prophet. And apparently she was struggling with that question, trying to figure out what is worship. And basically, if you read the story, she says, Jesus, my people say that you've got to worship on the mountain, on this mountain. The Jews say we've got it all wrong, that we must worship in Jerusalem. Who's right? Which one is really worship? John 4, 23, Jesus says this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in what? Truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship what? and in truth Jesus says the true worshiper will worship in spirit and truth and those worshiping in spirit and in truth are the ones that God sees you know Jesus gives us the heart of worship here you know worship is about heart and it's interesting when you take a look through scripture that you find God seeking two kinds of people in, in the world. The first people that God's seeking are the spiritually lost. You know, some of you are here today, and I'm glad you're here. Because you realize you're just kind of drifting in, in life. You don't really have a, a good connection w- with God. You know, maybe your life's in a lot of pain, maybe you're struggling, and you're just searching. In fact, if truth be known, you're not even sure what you're searching for. But you know something's missing. You know there's a void. It's been a long time since you've experienced joy. And you realize you lack definition, you know, or purpose in life maybe. Some of you, things are pretty good. You're just not satisfied. 
and you know something's missing and you're searching. And I want you to hear this today, if you don't hear anything else, that the God that created this world, that keeps this globe in motion, is scanning this world, searching for you. He sees your face. He knows your name. He wants you to know that you are loved. And that's why you're here today. God wanted you to know that. God's calling you. There's another group of people, though, that God seeks. And that's true worshipers. True worshipers. And I want to get something really straight here. The fact is, God is not seeking people who can sing well or clap on beat. And that's good for me. (laughs) Seriously. There's a proverb out there that says, you shouldn't give a sword to a man that can't dance. And if I lived in Ireland... They would have disarmed me, okay? (laughs) I was back there trying to clap earlier, and I was like, okay, everybody's clapping wrong. It's true. (laughs) God is not looking for people, is not seeking people that look good, that have it all together. Here's the bottom line. God is looking for true worshipers, people who are willing to, to be intimate with him that are willing to reach out to him, that are willing to love him above everything else in life. People who are willing to worship not only in spirit, but in truth. You know, to actually center their whole lives around him 24-7. Worship in truth. Authentic, real, to the core. It's who we are. So so what's that look like? I mean, I want to look today at just a few attributes of a true worshiper. First of all, a true worshiper worships with awe. Worships with awe. You know, May 3rd, 1986, my life changed forever. She had brown hair. She was beautiful, gorgeous. She had an unbelievable personality and her name was Cindy you know her as the announcement girl okay (laughs) friends my heart melted it went ah and seriously I wanted to talk to her all the time I wanted to spend every moment I possibly could with her you know I, I would think of things to call her about or to talk to her or reasons to get together, be talking and she would say something about she was going to get ready to take the trash out. I'll be, I'll be right over. I hang up, 43 minute drive, here to help, you know. I mean, I, I would run the wheels off the car. Why? Because I was in awe. We have to get back to the awe When it comes to God, we have to get back there. You know, where you are in awe of God, of who God is, and what God's done in our life. It's interesting, John, uh, he wrote the book of John, but he was one of the disciples of Jesus. But he also wrote the book of Revelation. And John, apparently, had been stirring up trouble in Jerusalem and a lot of other cities in in the area, and um, they arrest him, they convict him of being an agitator. 
and they condemn him. They sentence him to life on the Isles of Patmos. Life alone on that island. It's kind of man versus wild type situation. And I'm going to guess, because he had so much time on his hands, that he had a lot of conversations with God. And then he starts having visions. Visions from God. And he records those visions. It's the book of Revelation. Revelation says, he held seven stars in his right hand. Think about that for a minute. God holding stars. Not tinsel stars like you put on an attendance chart or something. Stars. Celestial planets. And not only one, but he's got seven of them. I'm thinking, wow, that's incredible. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun and all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. I want you to think about it. Here's a guy that spent years traveling with Jesus. He had, it wasn't new news to him to see a miracle. Uh, the fact is, uh, he, he'd seen all kinds of things uh, throughout, throughout Jesus' ministry. He had seen Jesus heal the blind, the lame. He, he'd watched him feed the multitudes, thousands of people. He had seen the risen Jesus that had walked out of the tomb, that had conquered death. And here, in a, in a vision, he comes face to face with God, and all he can do, all he can muster up, is to fall on his face before God. Worship and awe. You know, the, the Greek uh, idea, it's fall on your face. It uh, comes from the Hebrew word, actually, if you track it back. Shaka. You know, like Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, those of us that are older. But Shaka. It's to bow down. And what you find in Scripture are regular people like you and me. When they come face to face with God, they just fall on their face. They just fall on their face. Moses in the desert is taking care of sheep. He notices a burning bush. And it keeps burning and burning. Finally, he gets a little curious, walks over. The bush starts talking. And he realizes it's God. Now, I want you to think for a minute. You're out walking around in your yard. You see a bush burning. Walk over and it starts talking. When you figure out that it's God, here's the question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're probably sitting there going, well, Damon, I, I don't know. I can't even hardly imagine it. You know, I, I, I guess I might pass out. I might run. I might check my pulse. I, I mean, I'm not sure. Well, friends, I can tell you what you're going to do. You're going to do what they've been doing since the beginning of time, and you're going to fall on your face in awe before God. You know, Moses, he throws his sandals off, and he falls down, and he covers his face. He is stunned in the presence of God. And I can tell you those times when I have desperately 
been seeking God's guidance in my life. Those times when, when God speaks to those deepest secrets in, in my life. Those times when I think about the fact that God would use me to mark eternity. Friends, those times when I find myself in the presence of God, broken. I'm broken. I'm stunned. I'm undone. All I can do many times is just bow my head and cover my face. There's just a sense of awe. When was the last time you were broken? When was the last time that you were stunned, that you were in awe? I mean, when was the last time? Because, friends, life's too short. Life's too short. This deal is real. You know, Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. What does it say? What kind of worship? Worship with what? Reverence and awe. Can I say something that I don't even know how quite to to put it, but I know that some of you, think that when you stand before God, that when you get that opportunity, that you're like going to tell God a thing or two. Or, or you know, I'm going to explain myself to God. He'll help him understand why I did this or didn't do this, you know, kind of set this record straight, whatever, all right? And I'll say this as kindly as I can, get over yourself, Serious. When you truly come into the presence of God, whether that be here or in the next life at judgment, it will break you. You will have nothing to say to the creator of this world. When you are in the presence of God, it is beyond words, reverence and awe. You know, I I think we forget who God is. I I think we forget what God's done in, in our lives. You know, that God has saved us from from a life of bondage to sin. That God saved us from condemnation. That that he saved us from hell. He paid the debt. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. You know, I, I think we forget that he's seen us through the rough waters. That he has helped us regain our footing. Has restored our confidence. Given us purpose in life. You know, that those times when God has repaired our brokenness, when we were down and out for the count and God picks us up. You know, God has helped some of you overcome addictions. He's helped you overcome your marriages falling apart, your parenting flaws or failures. You know, God's helped you navigate through whether it be vocational or financial or health crisis. He's given you hope. You know, that... that When things seemed unbearable, God says, you know what, I'll just carry you through it. You know, he'll see you through whatever it is. When you're in the presence of God, friends, worship and awe. Another attribute, I think, is that we are to worship with abandonment. 
I'm going to try and paint a picture because it's a, it's a significant event in history. David had just been crowned king, king of Israel. He had just defeated the Philistines. He had recaptured the, the fortress of Zion that was an Israeli stronghold. And he's returning the, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, which was basically the Ark represented the presence of God to the Jewish people. Put this all together. This should have been one of the greatest days in David's life. 2 Samuel 6 says, But as the ark of the Lord returned to the city of David, Micah, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw the king leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. There's something that hits me, first of all, that when you get excited about God, do not expect everyone else to get excited about your excitement. And here, here's why. When, when the Holy Spirit kind of turns up the heat in your life and begins to disrupt you, it disrupts the status quo. And so, although some people will be inspired by what God's doing in your life, others will be convicted by what God's doing. And they will mask that personal conviction, and they will find something to criticize. It's a defense mechanism that, that we all have. The fact is, we tend to criticize in others what we are struggling with. So, my... Michael, David's wife, the daughter of Saul, remember who Saul was, he was the king before David, this is an arranged marriage, okay? Michael, she is dripping with sarcasm when she's talking to David. Story goes on, it says, then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who stripped himself of his kingly robes and uncovered himself in the eyes of his servants. Here's what, get a picture here. CNN, Fox, NBC, CBS, ABC, every major publication, you know, Times, People, Newsweek, they are all covering this event. David, David enters Jerusalem. David is king. He is dressed like a king. He is marching back, and David on the way starts worshiping, worshiping God. He's clapping his hands. He's raising his hands. He's singing. He's dancing. David's connecting with God. He forgets about everything else, and he's lost in worship. And he's dancing, and people are watching. And then they start talking, what's going on? David starts stripping off his clothes. First his shirt, then his pants. Picture, he's in his boxers. I mean, can you imagine this? Middle of the street is kind of like a bad scene in uh, the show Cops, you know. Michael 
is watching everything. She's up watching from the balcony. No. No, David. David, no. Not, not the pants. And when David gets home, she lets him have it. David, what were you thinking? You, you've got to be kidding me. You are some kind of king. And David says this, verse 21. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. In essence, David is saying nothing else matters to me but this worship. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what my soldiers think. It doesn't matter what my cabinet thinks. It doesn't matter what this nation thinks. It does not matter what anybody thinks. All that matters is what God thinks. David strips off everything. David strips off his kingship in that, a symbol of who he is. It's all gone. He stripped it all off. He basically saying, God, here I am. This is me. This is me. How many of you remember uh, the movie Rocky? All right, you know, dun, 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 dun. I, I love those movies. I mean, just uh, they get me pumped up. And uh, I remember one of them, Rocky, uh, Rocky Three. Rocky had just achieved his success. He was kind of living the high life. He was getting soft. He was getting cultured, uh, comfortable, you might say. And Rocky had just lost a fight. And his manager, Mick, says to, to Rocky, he says, the worst thing that could happen to any fighter, you've got civilized. Friends, when I read the gospel... The only civilized people that I find are the Pharisees. And Jesus didn't seem to be too impressed with their, their kind of uh, pomp and circumstance. In fact, Jesus picked 12 people that were undomesticated. You know, you see Jesus kind of lambasting the, the Pharisees. And he praises a prostitute who didn't even have the common sense to realize you can't crash a party and break open alabaster perfume and pour it on Jesus' feet as an act of worship. See, I don't think God cares about outward appearance. God doesn't care if you're wearing royal robes or the robes of a servant. But God is looking for people that are desperate enough to throw caution to the wind, to climb a sycamore tree, to cut a hole in the roof, to lower a friend, to see Jesus, to push through the crowd and yell at the top of your voice, to jump out of a boat just so you can get to him. You know, David, David says, I will become even more undignified than this. Hebrew word, hallel. It's where we get the word hallelujah. You know, to worship and praise. 
you know, to clamor foolishly is a, is a good translation. Mad before God. You know, uncivilized. You know, David must have been mad that day. Madly in love with God. Because worship forgets everything. It's an old proverb. Those who hear not the music think the dancer is mad. That's what happened that day. David hears the music. Michael? She doesn't. Who's crazy? Who's crazy? Friends, all I know is that if we could get ultrasonic hearing, if we could tune in to the frequency of heaven, if we could hear the angels that are gathered around the throne and singing, that it would change the way we worship in life. We would dance like David. We would worship with awe. We would worship with abandonment. And ultimately, we would worship with our lives. You know, Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This, right here, is a living sacrifice. Where you sit, living sacrifice. You know, your life, my life, is worship. I mean, what's that mean? Well, friends, I can tell you it's more than songs. Some of you are going, well, Damon, what's it include? Everything. Everything we do, everything we have, everything we are, absolutely everything. It includes it all. And you're sitting there going, Damon, you mean everything but? No, that too. Let me clarify, in case we're not clear. My time? You bet. My vocation? Absolutely. My marriage? Definitely. How I parent, how I spend money, how I recreate? Yes, yes, yes. My attitude? My compassion? My integrity? My sex life? Yes, absolutely. Affirmatives across the board? And whatever it is that you're wondering if it's included, yes, it's that too. God wants your life. He wants everything 24-7. All. Every bit of it. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. This is interesting. So I will again do amazing things with this people. Shocking and amazing. Friends, worship that is meaningful to God. Only to the extent that it reflects an authentic desire, an intention of my heart to live it out on a daily basis. And what strikes me in this scripture is 
God says, even when your worship is weak, even when it has no substance, he says, so I will again do amazing things with this people, shocking and amazing. You know, God is saying in that I will keep on loving them. I will keep on reaching out to them. I will keep performing miracles and displaying my greatness. And maybe, just maybe, this time, they'll get it. I want their heart. You know, we we sing dangerous songs around here. You know, uh, songs that really have the potential for real life change. You know, one we sang earlier, uh, We Need You. I love that song. There's a line in there, rich or poor, God, I want you more than anything that glitters in this world. And we sing that. But do we mean that? Or is it just rote? Now, are we chasing things in this world? Are we chasing things at the cost of our relationship with God and Jesus Christ? You can have all my hands can hold, my heart, my mind, my strength, my soul. Do we mean that? I mean, do we hold our stuff loosely? Do do we hold everything and say, you know, God, whatever, whatever you want? Or, Or do we keep a stranglehold on, you know, my stuff? Lip service or heart? Which is it? Again, there is a um, kind of, um, you're singing and you get caught up in the music. Do you know what I mean? I mean, in the moment, we're sincere. In the moment. But in reality, we're not really willing to kind of see it through or to do the hard work that's required or to make the change in our life or to take the steps that we need to do or make the sacrifice that we need to do. I mean, if truth be known, we sing, but we're just not willing to go there. And I want to tell you, that comes with a really high price when we sing, but it's not heart. I mean, first of all, it damages your heart. You know, you, uh, you kind of inoculate yourself against words Uh, the words if you sing them long enough with no heart they fail to move you anymore they fail to form you to shape you high cost and it also damages the heart of God now here's what I want you to consider today are you honoring God with words But if the truth be known, your heart is far away from God. You're not even making a serious attempt at trying to align yourself with God. I'm just saying, take a look at yourself. Take a look at your life. I mean, is there a gap between your worship and your life? Is your heart far from God? And and we're all going to have some gaps, okay, to some degree. That's why Jesus died. But if you're looking at that gap going, wow, it's awful. I mean, I sing this, but I live this. 
just go to God and say, you know what, God? No more of this. No more. I want to give you my heart and my life, not just words. And then do the hard work. You will not fix this overnight. But you have to count the cost. You have to count the cost, you know, relationally or financially or vocationally or recreationally or your, your behavior or emotionally. You know, you've got to count the cost. You have to count the cost in every single area of your life. It's the heart of worship. It's all yours, God. It's all yours. Let's bow in a word of prayer. God, we praise you. And God, I pray that the words that roll off our tongue, that we speak with our lips, that God, it would be just a song of what's going on in our heart. And God, I pray that not only that we have heart for that moment, but that we realize that everything we do, everything we say, it's all worship. God, forgive us when there's a disconnect. When we're singing, but our hearts are so far away. God, I praise you for your faithfulness. You continue coming back time and time and time again. God, I pray that we just give you our heart and worship this day and every day till we gather around your throne. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.